This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to bring you a conversation with another Aussie runner, Lisa Waitman. Lisa runs for Team Australia. She has competed in the 2008, 2012, 2016, and 2020 Olympics. Since competing at her fourth Olympic Games in Tokyo, she's running better than ever. Now at the age of 44, she has set two marathon personal bests within six months in late 2022 and early 2023. She kicked that off running a 75 second personal best of 224 at the Berlin Marathon in September of 2022. And then this past February in 2023, she improved that time by another 45 seconds running 223.15 in Osaka. That moved her from the fourth to the third fastest Australian marathon time ever. And then, get this, a week after Osaka, she was still in Japan and she went to place ninth in the Tokyo Marathon at a time of 2.31.42. So this is going to be really exciting as she is working to make her fifth Olympic team, which if she does that, she'll be the first track and field athlete to make five Olympics for Team Australia. She's also running Budapest, which is exciting because her last World Championships marathon was Berlin in 2009. Whoa, so much going on here. She uh, does all of this on very little sponsorship support. She works full-time for IBM. She has an eight-year-old son, and we get into all of that in this conversation. Have you all heard the news that Relay, which is the group I'm a part of that puts out podcasts and written pieces all revolving around running and running culture and races, we have decided to go public. Uh, We were behind a paywall when we launched last September and we decided we're going to make this thing public because we are having so much fun and we want you all to be a part of it. So now you can go listen. You can just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen. Just search for Relay. We launched this week with two episodes on Tuesday, which is a group discussion with myself and all of the other creators, such a fun discussion. And then another episode that we called it the super shoe showdown. I moderate it and Kara Goucher and Peter Bromka have a little conversation about how super shoes have affected their lives. It's really good. I actually listened back to this one and I telling you it is a great episode. You could even start with that episode to give you a little taste of what Relay is all about. So you can learn more at RelayPodcast.com and just search for us in any podcast app and you will find us. All right. Well, today on All Have Another, we have Lisa Waitman on the show. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I am really hitting the Australian market of runners hard here on the podcast. I'm excited to have another one on the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, We're a little far away down here, down under. So nice to uh, get the Aussie spirit out there. Oh, I love it. So, so fun. Um, Well, I also have to say I'm always interviewing you all like super early in the morning 
and I just opened a little little rosé because <laughs> it's nice. 6 p.m. here and I <laughs> I wasn't gonna have a drink today but I've had like a very long day and I was like you know what it's gonna make this interview more fun a little rosé <laughs> <laughs> sounds good uh, for me it's just boring water to to uh, start the day at work I, I think it'll be frowned upon if I start drinking at uh, eight o'clock in the morning before work right <laughs> might be a tad early uh, so yeah, you are doing so many things. And so you mentioned work. So let's start there. You work full time at IBM. What do you do? I'm an associate partner at IBM and I look after a great bunch of consultants um, in the tech space. So we look after client environments all around the country. Uh, I look after about 200 consultants here. Uh, yeah, it's pretty rewarding job, but it's, you know, that it has its uh, moments where you're trying to juggle you know, a running schedule and, and looking after our people and making sure our clients are happy. And, you know, so they're not things that you can just kind of leave. You need to uh, prioritize your day and, and really try to fit everything in that, you know, you want to get the best out of yourself. But, um, you know, it is a bit of a juggle trying to do a full-time job and uh, run and also mum responsibilities. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty full on, but a very rewarding career as well. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, like the the juggling of things and wanting to go all in on the things that I love, but like not being able to go in on everything all at once. And I know people talk about that. Like Sarah Vaughn always talks about this wheel, like this balancing act of the plates. And like at one moment I'm all in on this, another moment I'm all in on that. And it seems like you're kind of all in on all of it. I mean, just ran a two twenty three marathon this spring. Like, Tell me your process in your mind, how you're balancing this. I, I People hate the word balance, but you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And look, it hasn't been easy. So I've ran throughout my entire career, you know, started marathoning when I was 28 and 44 now. So it's been a long journey. Uh, and back when I first started running, I was, you know, a graduate working really long hours. You know, you were trying to prove yourself in in um, professional services and build that career. And uh, I found it really hard to prioritize my running at that time. And I got injured because I was still trying to, you know, jam in training and getting pretty much no recovery. And I got like stress fracture after stress fracture, mostly from lack of sleep and lack of being able to do all those little things that help you stay injury free. Um, so it took a while for my running career to really take off. Um, you know, everyone said I had some ability there and you know in my own team but it was hard to really put that out there on the track and because once you know you keep getting stress fractures it takes like half your year out and back then in the olden days you didn't have moon boots and ultra g's and all of that <laughs> you just had to wait six weeks or sometimes 12 you know so uh yeah then later in i met my husband who um he was a track athlete and he went to rice uh, university and you know had an athlete scholarship there and when he came back to Melbourne I met him here and we he started training with me and um, thought well look my track days are kind of behind me so I'll help you and see if you can get yourself into the running um, regime and really take on the marathon so he started helping me and um, but you know we weren't training like the traditional uh professional athlete uh we did I didn't have a contract I you know I was doing it as a hobby and uh and so we'd train at six in the morning and six at night every day for pretty much my entire career until COVID hit 
Uh, and, you know, once COVID hit for us, although it was really disappointing to have, uh, you know, everything shut down and people being so unwell, uh, the positive from my running was that a lot of work then moved to work from home. And mm. so therefore we were able to change our schedules. We were able to fit, you know, some running, some key running sessions twice a week in, in our lunchtime, uh, rather than doing it really late at night and not getting as great a quality. Cause you know, through winter here, it's quite dark and you'd be training in the dark, in the cold and, and then coming home and then trying to recover and, and, um, start again. So I think. For me, it's been, um, you know, a really great opportunity with COVID to change, everyone's changed their working situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you can pick your days in the office and align them to very specific goals that you have at work and be there for those events um, and those client meetings, et cetera. But you're not uh, constantly traveling for work and unnecessarily just to be in an office. Uh, and so that's helped. Uh, I guess in terms of overall balance, very lucky to have parents that live close by. So uh, I think Pete, our son, he likes spending time and getting spoiled with his grandparents. So, uh, you know, they're our, our rock, uh, both here and, mm. and in Ballarat. And over the summer break, I think my breakthrough marathon 223 marathon was a lot to do with having school holiday time and, and being away uh, and focusing 100% on my running. Um, we were able to sort of use that our summer break and really focus on training and still work. But we had a lot of holidays and public holidays and things like that where I was able to get more recovery and therefore do more mileage. And I think that was a really good insight for me to see what is possible if I have the time and if I can devote a bit more time to running. Man, the the grandparents nearby, it just can't be overstated enough. I mean, that is incredible. And like, I don't know, for me, at least if my kids are with my parents or my husband's dad, like I don't have mom guilt about yeah. that because I'm like, it's just as, I'm like, it's it's just as good. Like they're 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 my parents, you know, right. and so yeah, that's that's really awesome. That's a really long time, though, to do the 6 a.m., 6 p.m., and, and you mentioned being injured quite a bit in your 20s, not debuting the marathon till 28 or 29. Yeah, 28. 28. Um, but now at 44, like this has been a lot of years, like four Olympics. This is a long time with this schedule. How have you not gotten burnt out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like a lot. It is a lot. It has been a lot. Look, if I'm really honest, you know, my husband and I have had moments where we've uh, sat on the park bench in the middle of the park going, do we really want to do this? Can we mm. keep this up? You know, and we have had those those moments where we've had to really go, oh, I don't know if this is worth it. Um, but I think having those moments and kind of doing it together and having the break when you recognize that. So when you've got that mental fatigue to, you know, do I really want to do this? Can I put in more? Have, have I got the opportunity to do better than I have before? Uh, we've had those moments many times throughout my career. Uh, look, it's it's a lot harder. I don't know if Jess touched on this, but it's a lot harder in Australia. We don't have mm. the types of professional contracts that are available to um, our equivalent our peers in, in America and in Europe. And so it's just not an, I just don't have the opportunity to put full, you know, make it my full-time career because I can't 
make money to sustain any sort of lifestyle, let alone bring up a family. So you you then have to have those conversations as a family unit and say, well, what are my goals and do I think I can achieve it or do I think with the lifestyle I've got, I've hit my ceiling? And so we had that sort of discussion, Locke, myself, my coach, Dick, and we just had that conversation last year and, and I this was in the lead up to Gold Coast Marathon last year. And then we were like, okay, well, we're going to try to do more mileage. We're going to give it a go just to see if I increase my training and quality, what result I get. So we did that for Berlin and I ran a 224 flat there. So we were like, okay, I know there's still life in me uh, if I can do more training. And so it's been quite as simple as that. Do we want to commit to that? And, you know, um, give that a try and so we did that again for Osaka and took five weeks uh, over the Christmas break where I was working through you know as I said I didn't have to take as much time off work because we had um, lots of holiday time and things there Uh, but I was able to spend more of my work day at home and so it made it a bit easier to fit all of the miles in and not need to be rushing to work Uh, and so and that paid off so I ran Mm. you know another personal best uh, into the 223s. And so I'm hoping that, um, you know, for the next few marathons in the lead up to the Olympic Games, that I'll really have an opportunity to work less and really focus on the Olympics. And it it's kind of, you know, all culminating into that, you know, working a bit more this year, working through the mm. world champs really, um, so that I'm then in a position financially where we can uh, take time off and really focus on the Games next year, should I make it. Yeah, I would love to talk about that a little bit more, the financial component to running in Australia, because if you would, if you were to look at any American distance runner who was a four-time Olympian, 223 marathoner, I can't see how they wouldn't be sponsored and making a, a substantial income. So, and, you know, I don't see these contracts, but um, so much of this too uh, is social media based as well? Like how many followers do they have? Like what kind of influence are they having on people? Um, what do those contracts look like in Australia? And if someone were to be like, you know, 300,000 followers on Instagram or something like that, would that give them leverage to get a bigger contract? Yeah, look, I think so. But I think there's still a ceiling in Australia. Uh, I think the, the sports, arena is a little different here. Our f- the focus in Australia is more Australian rules football uh, mm. and then rugby, which is, um, you know, in the north. And so south, it's all about Aussie rules. And in the north, it's all about rugby. And then generally mm. across the country, it's, you know, cricket and, and a little bit of soccer. Um, that seems to be where all the money is in sport. Uh, you know, even if you compare like basketballers here versus in the US, you know, it's just not mm. the same, doesn't have the same mm-hmm. reach. Um, and it, 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 so it makes it a lot harder for Australian sports men and women to make it a professional career. Every, you know, people will try, but we do it with a lot of support behind us and, you know, you're generally not able to sustain a solid income through sport in Australia. Um, probably you probably have a better chance in administration as opposed to, to actually competing, which is uh, quite funny. But it's, yeah, look, it's Australia is a wonderful sporting culture. We, we love our sport here, but it doesn't necessarily translate to athletes being able to then sustain that as a career. Um, so, yes, if you'd like to adopt me, let me know. <laughs> yeah, because you like 
you work with Asics, right? I do. Yeah. Is this just a clothing sponsorship or like race, race, you know, pay to get you to races and stuff like that? Uh, so it's an incentive-based okay. contract. So yeah, so shoes and apparel and generally they'll, most of the contracts here will be about, um, you know, breaking records, making teams, um, running events that the actual brand sponsors. So it's about that. So you can't sustain that, you know, that you you can't pay your mortgage with shoes. So you no. need to, uh, <laughs> so you need a job, right? Look, I, it sounds quite negative, I guess, when we, we talk about it because it is hard to compare, you know, my situation when I compare to my competitors who all have that opportunity to, you know, do their session in the morning, have a nap, mm. you know, and then do another session in the afternoon. It's just not a, a, an option for me, but, and for, you know, many other Australians. Uh, but I guess the flip side of that is when I finish running, my life doesn't change that much. You know, I've mm. got a career, it's been progressing at the same it's probably been progressing better than my, than my running career. Um, and so you're not going to have that like slump or that transition to say, okay, I, you know, what am I going to do next with my life? Uh, because I've already been working on that plan. So mm-hmm. I guess that's the flip, the positive of having a situation like we have uh, that, you know, I try to find the positives out of the difficult scenario, but I would have liked to have certainly been able to do a lot more training um, throughout my late thirties and see what else I could have done in the, in the marathon. That's for sure. And you're still running personal best times though, in your forties. So if you were to make the fifth Olympic, your fifth Olympic team and for Paris, I know that the selection hasn't happened yet, but you're qualified. Um, would you, you would be the first Australian to do that? Yeah. For the track and field it would be an amazing, just an amazing thing to achieve considering in my, you know, early 20s, I had like seven stress fractures and everyone said, oh, you're never going to make it in running <laughs> apart from my, you know, close family and coach. Uh, and so to then make five games is, yeah, is pretty awesome. So fingers crossed. Hopefully I can yeah. uh, put another PB on the board later in the year to secure the spot. Yeah, because if you're talking about someone who's been on five Olympic teams, you're thinking they're getting started in their early 20s. Yes, <laughs> that's right. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of anybody that I know of that, not just Australians, I think Opti might be the only person I can think of that's been on five Olympic teams in track and field or, you know, running, the sport of running. Um, so like after Paris, like how long do you see yourself doing this? <laughs> Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when I was 28, I was told, you know, oh, you're too old to be funded. We only want to fund those who are <laughs> up and comers, right? And my husband, he gets so frustrated and we talk about, we like, but you're just starting and how yeah. is this possible, you know? Anyway, and then so fast forward to 44 and I'm still like, unless I can run under 220, then it's like, oh, well, we don't care unless you can run under 220 or you're an up and comer, right? So this is what I hear. And so you kind of go, how is that? How is that right? Given that, you know, like you said, I'm running PBs, I'm matching it with, you know, you know, this similar peer group and 
you know, I'm excited about what's next for, you know, world champs and potential Olympics and hopefully another PB, you know, across the 10 and, and half and full again, um, you know, but you don't know what's around the corner, right? So people like Sinead and I, and I'm sure, you know, a few more girls will come through um, similarly as they progress, like Sarah Hall. And, you know, we're showing that it's, you know, that you've got longevity. So why be, why would brands not want to support, you know, mums who are pushing the boundaries, who are demonstrating to other women that you can keep going. You can't necessarily do it all in the one year. You know, you need to take time to, you know, have children and do other things in your life. But, you know, from a longevity perspective, we're demonstrating that you can keep going into your 40s. How much further? Well, I mean, that's going to be different for everybody. You know, there's going to be um, things like, you know, menopause and, and those types of things that are going to impact us, you know, at some stage. But, um, you know, we don't know what that ceiling is and it won't necessarily be the same experience for everybody. And also the motivation for all of us is going to be different you know, what we want to get out of it, how our body's coping, you know, how we've um, trained over the years and, and, you know, how that's impacted everything is going to be a factor as well. And so for me, because I've taken regular breaks throughout the time and I've really uh, set goals and then had some good downtime after each big championship marathon, I think that's helped me stay healthy and, and stay motivated. So I think that's key. Like once you get to the point where you don't want to um, invest the time anymore. I think that's where you start to, you know, think about, okay, is this the right career for me? But I think that we're certainly showing and hopefully it'll make it better for, you know, those, you know, in their thirties now or their late twenties trying to run that, you know, it's worth investing in someone like me and someone like Sinead because, you know, you, you've got 20 more years, right? <laughs> it's not, they're not 20. about to retire at 32, right? <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. crazy when you say that, right? <laughs> it really is. And just like, if you could go back and talk to yourself at 28 and be like, hey, relax, like we're going to be doing this for a long time. And then also roll up those like negotiating sleeves and be like, wait a minute. That's right. If I could tell you what's going to happen in the future, but none of us knew, you know, but now we're proving it, which hopefully will pave a better path for other people who are, were in your shoes at 28. That doesn't help you though. (laughs) No, that's right. And that's, that is the, uh, disappointing situation is that you know I look at the positive is that hopefully it's an easier path for others um, you know that are coming through the ranks now Uh, but certainly for me it's been a really hard slog um, pretty much the whole way through so I guess back to your question how have you done it for (laughs) all this time I think a bit of insanity right Lindsay (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm I'm so curious about like the perimenopause thing and like when You know, I think that for a long time we talked about like, oh, my gosh, these women in their late 30s are like, you know, breaking boundaries and doing all this cool stuff. And it's like, what, 38? That's not old anymore, you know? That's right. Um, Like, and everybody goes through perimenopause, menopause at different ages. But like, have you noticed anything with your body that's like, oh, okay, I'm 44. That's slowed you down even though you're not slowing down do you know what I mean yeah yeah no nothing actually like I actually feel the 
better than I felt when I was in my 20s, you know. Mm. Uh, I think I've got a really good balance, you know, I, I and I think that helped that your mental health is really important in mm. this fact, you know, it mm-hmm. is the most important factor. Um, you know, my husband and I are really settled. We're such a partnership. We, we, we're, we do everything together and support each other. Uh, my son's going really well and, you know, he's, he's just, you know, a really great kid and we have laughs every day and we just, you know, enjoy doing all the family stuff and, um, you know, work's ticking along and, you know, we've had so many opportunities to travel, the three of us together and see the world. Uh, so, you know, as hard as it is to fit all these things in and fit some really grueling marathon sessions in in the day, uh, the benefits, I guess, has been, you know, all of those things that I've just mentioned and um, and that helps your mental health. So I think uh, keeping that rock solid and feeling in a really good place you know, is one of those things that kind of helps you, the rest of your physical being feel alive and feel, you know, ready to conquer new goals and things. So I think if you have that sorted, it's, you know, that springboard into, you know, keeping that physical health going really well. I am well aware that, you know, at some point I've got an older sister and, you know, friends who are a bit older. And so, you know, I sort of have an idea of the types of things that are going to, you know, how the body's going to change and, and the impacts there. And, and so I guess I'm sort of at that stage of like, well, I don't know when that's going to happen, when I'm going to slow down. So for now, I'm just going to maximize what I can in this career. And then, you know, whatever will be, will be because it's, it, as hard as it's been, it's been a really great journey too. And, um, you know, you just kind of got to be positive about that and, and assess it and get the support you need when it really, you know, when things do start to change. Yeah. It sounds like you don't dwell on it. No, not really. I don't think I have any time, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> no time at all. When Darling, would I think about know, that? I mean, you know, you've got night. more children than I have. Why don't you think of yourself, really? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's one of my downfalls. I think about myself too much. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can be each other's coach, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, friends. All right. Thank you, Sidekick Tool, for supporting the podcast. And let me tell you, friends, if you aren't already using it, you got to try it. Sidekick develops recovery tools for runners so you can heal from your injury quicker and get back to doing what you love. If you're suffering from plantar fasciitis, shin splints, IT band tightness, or even knee pain, muscle scraping therapy works by breaking up blocked vessels to heal stressed tissue in your body. All right, Molly Seidel uses it, Sarah Hall uses it, you've seen Emily Enfeld using it. This is a safe, effective injury prevention and injury relief tool. It's more precise than a foam roller or a massage gun. I use this on the bottom of my feet because I am prone to plantar fasciitis and that is something I am not messing with because it is so naggy. What a naggy injury. Uh, So I highly recommend Sidekick Tool and you can check it out for 15% off your order. Just go to SidekickTool.com slash I-H-A. That stands for I'll have another sidekicktool.com slash I-H-A. All right, back to the show. So in a perfect world, like you don't want to change your life, but like in a perfect world, if you could train 
exactly how you wanted to train for this Olympic cycle or, you know, training for the, to make the Olympic team, your fifth cycle, what would your day look like? What, What would your life look like? Yeah, I think what I'd love to do next year, we talked about this a little bit, is um, is actually go away for a, for a solid period. You know, um, my husband and I have spent some time in Boulder and, you know, I've had, you know, a couple of t- stints there and, you know, trained with different groups and things like that. Um, so it'd be nice to do something like that and, you know, have Pete with us and, you know, he would need someone else obviously to help him because we'd be homeschooling him and mm-hmm. things like that. So ideally it'd be nice to be able to just take a big chunk of time, um, you know, and then uh, be training somewhere different to get that different stimulus from, you know, what you're just used to day to day. So if I could make that happen, then uh, that would certainly be ideal. Uh, in terms of training specifically, I think as any marathoner knows that the training is really grueling. Um, and so getting extra rest would be key. Uh, you know, training earlier in the morning, getting the big main session out the way, and then having time to, you know, food prep and, and you know, making sure you're not just quickly grabbing a snack in between work meetings. And um, so certainly improving that aspect and that fueling aspect would be also a benefit to my um, my performance. I think, you know, I have tested sort of the impact of being able to do all of those things with the Osaka race. And it certainly made a huge difference as, you know, as how I felt in the race and obviously the time. But, uh, you know, having um, been spent a fair bit of time with my in-laws and my mother-in-law is a home economics teacher. So she was like cooking for us while we were, oh. a, while we were a trainer over summer and I didn't have to do that much cooking, just help out, you know. Um, so all of our nutrition was like, you know, top notch. And so those things, you know, they, it's not just theory, like those things have re- really do make a difference. And I think that block into Osaka um, really demonstrated for us what's needed for next year. Um, and that is like to be really all in on, on the Olympics. Yeah. I heard you mention in another show, um, that your training cycles have all been a little bit different. And, um, I'm curious how you formulate that like marathon after marathon cycle after cycle, because once you find something that works, it might be scary to try something different, but you found that switching it up might be important. Yeah, definitely. I think most of my challenges have been we've taken a cautious approach to the marathon training because pre super shoes, you know, we were running on shoes that weren't (laughs) that cushiony, right? And so I'd had so many stress fractures and, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to make sure that if you're representing your country, you actually make it to the start line Mm -hmm. and can finish the race. So you tend to take a bit of a cautious approach uh, but once the super shoes have come in and your recovery uh, from each session is a lot better, then that's been an opportunity for me to really push the boundaries because I'm not pulling up sore from any of my sessions. I just keep, you know, running one and going out to the next one and getting it done. So it's they, that has been the other factor that has helped improve performance uh, because you're just going out there, you're getting stuff done, you you're racing and recovering really well. So you don't have to have as many days off after a race as you did in the past um, with the lightweight for thin 
uh, racing flats. So yeah, so that's been a positive, I think, for everybody being able to push the boundaries and, and hence why the times are coming down, uh, not just the carbon plate aspect and race performance, but how being able to do more training and tolerate more in the legs. You know, it's funny when the super shoes first came out, I wasn't super interested in talking about them much, but now the more I've been talking to people recently and especially like, you know, the conversation of it came out for some people way before it came out for other people Mm. and all that. And I'm extra curious to talk to people like you who have been doing this long enough that the majority of your career was not in super shoes. I just, I guess, give us your whole feelings, like the whole feelings on all the situation about the super shoes. Yeah. So I I guess for those who have only ran in super shoes, you know, it's hard to understand, you know, because you're putting in a lot of training effort and, you know, and you're working still working really hard in training. Right. And so therefore you're getting the result out of the work that you're doing. Mm. Um, And so absolutely well deserved and you know I think but I think it's just definitely a, like the bars moved um, yeah. with super shoes you know um, how much it depends on the individual depends on the foot strike the type of shoes you're wearing all of that it, you know some people will be more re- you know respond better than others um, for me it's a lot to do with I, I guess I'm a heel striker so I don't get as much mm. response from the super shoes with the carbon plate as, as someone who, you know, who is a mid foot or a um, toe runner, you know, so it'd be nice if I was one of those because I'm pretentious right. to go a bit faster. But, <laughs> 221. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, I think there's definitely a performance. I mean, the results don't lie. I mean, you know, look at the improvements in the world records and all the track world records and, you know, all of that. It's just the data's there, right? Um but the, like I said, the extra piece is that recovery time. Um, you know, a four week, it'd usually take four weeks after a, a marathon before you actually started feeling like you could do some really good sessions again. Whereas, you know, <laughs> probably talk about this later, but, you know, I ran a marathon, Tokyo Marathon, like a week after Osaka, right? <laughs> That's it's just crazy. unheard of. You could barely walk by <laughs> a week after. Um, but I guess in terms of the performance for me, um, you know, I've got my old shoes from my first marathon, um, you know, my New Balance shoes that I wore on that first one. And if you look at those and hold them up compared to the ones I wore in Osaka, like it's just pretty amazing the difference over that period. Uh, and yeah, the, the I guess the exciting thing for me is that I've got some PBs, which I'm really proud of in the you know, the, the pre super shoes, like, mm-hmm. you know, fifth at London and a two twenty five at London was like, you know, my, you know, dream race. And, you know, I've got an Australian all comers record, um, from the gold coast, which I betted, um, in sunny coast a few years later, but well, nine years later or something, but, uh, in super shoes, but I've, you know, that record, I think Kira might be coming over for gold coast in a few weeks and they'll have a crack at, you know, I'm sure they'll, um, get that record on Australian soil, given the calibre in the field. But at least, you know, I know I've done, achieved some really good mm-hmm. results in the old shoes. Um, and now I'm kind of getting that probably appropriate percentage improvement in the new super shoes. So I can kind of compare um, the training I did then and in those shoes, and then I can, um, you know, set new goals and, um, you know, try to improve my performance in this new world as well. So it's kind of, it's exciting to cross those, um, you know, those two 
historical, uh, I don't know, what do you say, pieces of running history. Uh, yeah. And exciting to, to think, well, what are they going to come up with next, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So the next generation, what will they get to see in, in terms of performance enhancement that's, you know, um, going to make our sport even more exciting? Yeah, it's interesting. There's so many nuances there. I always try to think, okay, what would that time be pre-Super Shoes? But like you said, everybody's affected so much differently. I think it was Molly Huddle that was like, they don't do that much for me. You know, similar to you. Maybe she runs in, in a similar fashion. Um, just, I think she was talking about like the percentage. Yeah. It can be up to this percentage. And she didn't think that it affected her that much. Um I always think about that with the American record, like when Kira broke it and then Emily mm-hmm. broke it. And I'm like, how much does Dina's record have to be broken by for it yeah. to be equivalent to that actual performance in those shoes? Yeah. And I guess the answer is it depends on the person because everybody handles the shoes differently. That's right. And there's so many on the market now and so many prototypes that seem to be popping up. Um, so I guess you touched on that earlier that we don't, really know I know I know that all the brands and athletes we need to record you know what shoes we're wearing and they're all checked Mm -hmm. and all of that before a big major event but we don't really know what's getting developed and what prototypes are you know out there Um, you know you could only really know if they're kind of colored differently and things like that but if they're in the same colors as what everyone else is wearing um, you know, for the average person looking at someone's shoes, we don't really know which ones they are, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly made it a bit of a muddle um, and certainly throws a lot of questions out there around, you know, right and wrong and fair and, <laughs> and you know, that sort of stuff. But I think like everything in life, you know, you've got to have um, an opportunity for technology to get better. Mm. You've got to, you know, you've got to have that playing field to test that out. And it just so happens that, you know, obviously the elite athletes are the ones that need to do that because they're pushing the boundaries so much. Um, and so it's exciting from that perspective, but I guess sometimes it feels a bit frustrating if you're, you know, in races and you don't have access to, you know, the best, uh, technology and, you know, you feel mentally a bit, damaged not being able to you know at least be on a level playing field so yeah it's it's a interesting conundrum but one which uh will just continue on as we keep improving trying to improve our technology and improve performance okay so you mentioned osaka let's talk about that you ran osaka you ran your 223 15 and then seven days later ran Tokyo so obviously Osaka was the goal yes yeah definitely when when did you decide you were running Tokyo well originally I had an elite start sorry a sub elite start from ASICS they asked the Australian team uh, asked me if I would like an entry and I wasn't able to get into the elite field um, prior to that so I was like yeah I'll, I'll take the elite entry uh, the sub elite entry uh, and a friend of mine really close friend of mine was running and she also wait, had wait. Why weren't you able to get into the elite field? Uh, so from that seems a, crazy. Yeah. So I think you know all the races they want to get the best field on the park and they have budgets that they need to cover and so um, you know they they pick their their team of elites that they want to pick you know and and look that's fair like it's um, you know they they choose the you know the top 
men and women that they want to put in their elite field and that's you know that's their decision and how they feel is best for the marketing of Hmm. their event and performances right so um you know they chose athletes who are faster than me to be in the elite field or and or have a different story to tell i guess um however um i've always had great um experiences in Osaka because I've ran Osaka women's quite a few times and so my manager was like would you like to run Osaka and so I was like sure let's do that and we really love the place and so we um so what I thought I would do is um and ASICs were fine with this and Tokyo was fine with this is I was going to pace my friend who was in the sub elite and she was trying to break three hours and so I had that um goal in mind for Tokyo and um yeah and so I ran Osaka and had a fantastic, like it was the best experience I've had so far in a marathon because wow. I had a pack to run with. There was a pacer at exactly the pace I wanted. Uh, you know, the other athletes wanted it too. So it just really worked out. It was a really great group. Um, and most of the marathons I've ran, funnily enough, throughout my career, I've ran quite a few. I haven't really had packs to run with. Uh, and so when I ran London, I, you know, pushed the pace on that pack and um, and then went it alone from 17K. Um, and so I've had most of my marathon experience has been get out there and just do the work yourself. Uh, and so this was like a dream experience, just being able to sit there and run with all these people and enjoy the moment. Uh, and then I, my friend actually got injured um, mm. and her hamstring had hamstring problems and we were taking our son Pete to Disney as a celebration after the event. So I still had my entry to Tokyo and ASICs um, were keen for me to do a few things for them as well. And so I thought, you know what, I'll, um, we'll continue on and I'll, I'll go to Tokyo. And if I feel fine and recover fine, then, then I might do it because I only have Boston then left to get, you know, the full suite. Uh, and so, yeah, so I've recovered amazingly well. We spent a couple of days enjoying Tokyo Disney walking around, not eating the same as you would normally eat for a marathon, which is my <laughs> downfall. Um, and yeah, so I got to the start line, I felt really good. Uh, but I didn't think it through too well because I forgot that um, when you're on the elite, you know, in the front, they're going to run really fast at the start. So, uh, so I had to go at like, you know, sub 17 minutes for the first 5k um, and you know, before we could settle into a pace to make sure that I didn't like get trampled. Um, so I went out a little harder in the first half than I had originally planned for Tokyo. Um, but it was a really fun experience and I'm really glad I did it uh, because, you know, I had Australians in all of the different waves, you know, um, starts running through the course. And so when you did the switchbacks, you know, I, someone mm. would jump out from the you know, from the group and call out my name and then we'd wave and take a photo, you know. Um, And so that was like something I'd never experienced in a marathon before to just take it all in Uh, because usually, you know, you're pushing for a time or a qualifier or, you know. So it was really fun to experience the marathon from a completely different perspective. Uh, Yeah, and now Boston's my last one and, you know, I get the suite. So, uh, yeah, so I'm really glad I did it, but I probably wouldn't recommend it. My stomach was in all sorts (laughs) for like a week after that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So I never thought about that part either, but uh, because we were enjoying ourselves in Tokyo and, you know, just having fun and eating whatever. Uh, Yeah, it wasn't. I didn't think that bit through either. Uh, So, yeah, learn from my mistakes, hey, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you're 
glad for the whole experience, even though that part wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. It, it it was just, yeah, really nice to get to see a different perspective of marathon yeah. running. Yeah. You know, but you still ran a so 231. I know. I know. I surprised <laughs> myself. That's for sure. <laughs> I think that was from the first half being so, yeah, full on. Um, yeah, the, I went out so quickly. And because you kind of do two turns at Tokyo, and so there's not really, an op- you know, you just need to go with the the big wave of people. You just need to go with it. So, and then I had these really nice guys in, that were running in a group that I ended up behind as a result of sort of starting that the race that quick. And it was kind of nice just to run with them. Uh, and then eventually we kind of all split up, and and I moseyed along and got to the finish line. So. Yeah, it was it was a good experience, and uh, you know we just had such a great family holiday as a result, and mm. there's so many positives that came out of that trip, and yeah, it certainly kept us motivated for what's next. Did those guys know who you were? Like, did they know that you just ran two twenty three in Osaka? I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they would have thought if they would have known. Did you talk to him after? No, I didn't, because we. Um, you sort of get pushed through the, you know, you get moved into the shoots and you, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was feeling a bit sore by that stage. By marathon too, I was really sore, <laughs> so yeah. I was like hustling my way to the to the bus. <laughs> hey, friends! All right, we've got a new sponsor today that I am pumped to tell you about. It is Two Before. Two Before is a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. What do blackcurrant berries do? Well, they contain unique levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins, which have been proven to boost athletic performance by increasing blood flow, making it more efficient for the body to pump oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood to the muscles. It also kickstarts your recovery, helps with muscle soreness, and manages inflammation, and it strengthens your immunity. Immune-boosting antioxidants and natural-occurring vitamin C are in these black currant berries. I got to tell you, it also tastes refreshing and delicious. So you can drink it daily, 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. You'll feel that effect of it around 60 minutes from taking it. You just mix it up with around four to eight ounces of water or electrolyte drink, whatever you're drinking. I just mix mine with water and there you have it. All right, so I am really excited for you to check it out and excited to hear how it works for you. You can save 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to 2, the number 2, before.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y and that'll get you 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping. All right, friends, back to the show. So you said Osaka was your best marathon to date. Yep. Okay. So different training cycle, different, or you know, shoe progression keeps getting better. Like what else? You ran with a group. That was amazing. You haven't had that opportunity much. Um, what else about it? Like what made it so special? I think that when you put the work in and you can see in your training that you've improved then for me that's a real advantage because I'm like you know if you're a data or an analytical thinker data person you go well here is my training from here Mm. and 
I know I'm fitter because it's telling me I'm fitter. So don't be too frightened about the race, you know, just let it happen. And because I knew also that the pace that was going out exactly at the sweet spot for me, that was a positive. So I went into the race very relaxed, ready to go and excited. I guess if I compare um, back in 2019, I was probably in a similar space, but not doing as good a training. Back then it was better than ever, but you know, now that I've done this block, I, you know, this is, was another level, but back in uh, 2019, I'd ran 60, just under 68 minutes, mm. uh, just, sorry, just under 69 minutes for the half marathon. And I'd ran a 10 KPB in that year. And um, I was in pretty good shape and was excited to run Chicago, uh, but I got food poisoning mm. and started like vomiting at 27 K. Um, oh, and during the race. Yeah. And so it was really hard pill to swallow when you you know you've done all this work and you think that's your breakthrough like I went in so confident going this is going to be my day you know um and it all turned or went south uh and so I guess I don't take for granted the work Mm. you've done you know now because I've gotten myself into that amazing shape and and similarly with Rio Olympics I got sick in the lead up to that as well and so you can get yourself into great shape but something can go wrong that you you know you can't do much about so um, you know, going into Osaka, I knew that I was really healthy. Every, I felt really good. Um, not over the top, you know, not, you know, not out of my skin, really good, but just really ready for a good opportunity and going in quite relaxed and knowing that I had that pack to run with for quite a long time was a really positive experience for, for me. Yeah, I think the other race that was probably my best was definitely London Olympics that went really well, had good sort of different packs I can't remember all the details of London but um, it was you know an opportunity where I ran and you know ran to my ability at the time and to my training level at the time and got the result I expected so that doesn't always happen in a marathon in fact it probably happens um, yeah. less than it does you know in more cases that it's uh, you don't run as well as you hoped um, so when it does go well it's a pretty amazing feeling yeah that's what's so hard about the marathon like so many eggs in that basket and there's just so many factors on the day and that's you know kind of goes back to my question at the beginning like how do you not get burned out or like how do you stay so mentally strong knowing that like I could go this whole training cycle and then I could get food poisoning yeah or you know whatever might happen uh do you work with a sports psychologist what are things that you do to stay sharp Yeah. So back when I was a junior, I had a wonderful sports psychologist when I was kind of going through all the stress fractures and everyone was saying, oh, you're not going to be good enough. And so after a while, when people tell you, you're not going to be good enough, you kind of believe it, right? (laughs) Enough people are telling you. Uh, And so I have, we had a beautiful uh, sports psych who looked after our dancers here in Victoria. And I uh, worked with her. Unfortunately, she got very ill and passed away with cancer Mm. um you know through my career and uh and then I've recently just picked up with a new girl um from our institute of sports so I only just started working with her again last week which is which will be great for worlds and you know and hopefully a few more marathons into the future so that's you know super handy and definitely helps um you know go through different things that you want to work on from a mental perspective um I guess, you know, like 
it's been such a long time, as you pointed out. And, you know, for every marathon, I haven't had it all worked out and I haven't been motivated and positive. So, you know, if we touch, if, you know, we touch on that, but I haven't gone into every marathon in, you know, perfect condition, mentally ready to go. Um, you know, I've gone into, if we offer take Tokyo Olympics, I was mm. probably in the worst mental state for the Tokyo Olympics than any other marathon, you know. So we'd had, you know, everyone had been impacted by not being able to race, not, uh, not knowing, you know, uh, you know, how to get all the training done because in Melbourne, we were the most locked down city in the world. Mm. We spent mm-hmm. like <laughs> a year and a half or something homeschooling our children while working and we were only allowed to leave our homes for one hour of exercise a day. Um, you know, oh so we had <laughs> we had some serious restrictions and also you just worried about your parents and, your, uh, you know, everybody and keeping safe and all of that because that was obviously drummed into all of us to, you know, avoid people and, and all those things. So we had all of that going on, like every human on the planet, we were homeschooling Pete, we were trying to work, we were trying to keep everybody motivated um, within our teams at work. Um, and, you know, cause I'm in a, a job where, you know, we, we needed to have people on site to keep systems going and things like that. So it's making sure they're healthy and taking care of them um, you know, in the same way as you're taking care of your family, really. And so there was a lot of pressure throughout that period. Um, and then nine weeks before the Olympic Games were due to start, uh, we were advised that I needed to get out of Melbourne because there was going to be another lockdown. And if I didn't get out of Melbourne within a few days, I wouldn't be able to get to the north of Australia oh to be able gosh. to prepare in the heat for the grueling temperatures of Olympics and so all of a sudden my parents moved in to look after Pete because he couldn't come because he didn't have any you know paperwork that you know I couldn't take him with me so we uh we had to separate for Mm. over nine weeks and so I went to camp with thankfully Lachlan could come with me for part of it so we went to the camp and um so by the time I got to the Olympic Games and Lachlan wasn't able to come to the Tokyo with me um, we weren't able to get him accreditation so by the time I got to the games it sounds all very um, uh, I don't know I don't want to use the word weak but um, kind of you know that's how I started to feel that you know I got on the plane I had to then like my son's at home I then had to get on this plane go to Tokyo to do this marathon in the heat and I couldn't take locks and I was leaving another mm-hmm. person from my team you know, behind. So by the time I got to the Olympics, you know, I'm sitting there eating breakfast by myself, dinner, lunch by myself. Um, You know, thankfully there was a few people from the American squad that, you know, like Lee Troop and, um, you Mm -hmm. know, a few of the others that I was able to have lunch with and stuff and just at least change the, you know, experience a little. Um, But by the time I got to the race, I just felt mentally drained and missing Pete and missing, you know, just really, um, yeah, so not in a good space. So I probably got a better result out of Tokyo than really I thought I would, I guess, in the end, given what how miserable I was. But um, I was also just trying really hard to like pump myself up and go like, you've got this amazing opportunity, you need to you know, get the job done and, you know, but it's hard to push, you know, push through that on your own and not have that 
you know, your own support team there to, to really push, uh, help you work through those things. So I guess the telling that story is um, important because, you know, even when you're 44 and you're a mom and you're meant to have all this stuff worked out, after a while, sometimes you can get a bit broken and you really do need a team to go to, you know, get you, you know, lift you. And um, so, but I guess the positive of all of that is that I came back stronger from that. So, you know, I came back and I ran, you know, a really fast 10K and, um, you know, got, got, you know, I ran at 31.20 over 10K, you know, in when I, in May of the following year. And then obviously I ran Gold Coast and Berlin and soccer and got, you know, the, the personal best and started to get those performances. But um, I think the key is that we're not always going to be, mm. you know, we're not always going to be tough and strong. And even though we kind of have to on the outside for our children and everything, sometimes, you know, we need that, you know, extra support to keep us going. Wow. Nine weeks away from your son. So the silver lining there is how special his relationship must be with his grandparents. I mean, I cannot imagine It's. I mean, you just, I think a lot of people are close to their grandparents, but that's next level. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. They are little besties, the three of them. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. And, uh, yeah, they, it's something that I'm so glad they have the opportunity, you know, Pete has the opportunity and they have the opportunity to have such a close relationship. Mm. And it's very similar. My sister has a, a boy who I can't say a young boy anymore because he's almost 18, but um, mm. very similar uh, with Thomas. And, you know, we kind of, with my sister and, you know, our side, we've, we've always brought the children up together and it's like a little little unit and you know he's had the same kind of experience he hasn't he hasn't been nine weeks where his mother has gone to the Olympics but he's (laughs) he's certainly had the same relationship and you know my sister and I without my parents helping us out you know we wouldn't never be able to achieve the things that we've achieved Um, and you know they are just so close our kids with um, my parents and it's just yeah really beautiful. Yeah I think you know the pandemic was hard for a million reasons, but I don't know that those of us watching the Olympics thought those things through so much. Like I wouldn't have known that you were standing on the start line, having been away from your family for nine weeks and all the mental things that were going on in your head because of all, I mean, it's exhausting and you're putting your body through this like physical exhaustion, but mentally, if you're not sharp, like how are you going to show up? How are you going to do it? Yeah, and I think, you know, just running along, and I still have memories of it, you know, running along and other competitors were just like passing out in front of you. You know, mm. it's it's hard to then go, wow, I'm going to push myself even harder in these conditions because you're seeing people, you know, drop in, <laughs> physically just drop onto the ground mm. and not move. And then your protective mechanism and, you know, is going off like crazy going, I could die here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. could not make it home. I know that sounds dramatic, but when you see, you know, when we were seeing the competitors just, you know, really drop it, it was hor- like, it was a bit horrifying. And um, yeah, so that sort of, you know, didn't help the situation either. But uh, yeah, look, it's an amazing opportunity to have made the Olympic team. And 
and experienced it in the end. But, you know, at the time when I was in, in it and living it, it was um, certainly not the fairy tale that, you know, some of the others like a Beijing and a London, um, London was, but probably really uh. was part of the journey, you know, of mm. um, increasing and working on that mental health and, and really then using that as, you know, and catapulting that into uh, the next, the following years. And I think, you know, maybe part of that journey has really helped me, you know, with my Berlin race and Osaka race and then planning what's next. And yeah, so, you know, sometimes these experiences are hard at the time, but maybe they're there for a reason and help you be stronger in the future. Is that the hardest marathon you've ever run? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think t uh, Rio, I got sinus infection. Oh. Um, so that wasn't that great either. <laughs> but Tokyo, yeah, it was a bit scary. Tokyo, seeing the other competitors, um, you know, pushing themselves and, you know, put, having put all that in, all the time and sacrifice and everything into that event and, and not making it to finish line. Um, yeah, that was heartbreaking because I, for them, um, I feel that, lucky that I was able to, you know, make it through and, and get to the end and proud of that. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that Paris and uh, <laughs> Budapest don't get to quite the extremes of Sapporo uh, because yeah, everyone deserves that opportunity to run and finish and, you know, um, get that, get through that finisher shoot um, healthy and, you yeah. know, not on the ground. <laughs> oh my gosh. Terrifying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're running world champs soon. Yeah. Yeah. First time uh, in a long time. It is. Yeah. 2009 was the wow. last time I ran. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to originally, I was thinking about just focusing on fast times and then, and then we bit, did a bit of like, just hang on a minute. Like, why don't we give it a go? Right. Um, yeah, we'd been thinking, oh, it, potentially it'll be hot again and all the prep that goes into that. Uh, but this time around, I won't need to do as much. You know, I don't need to go away for nine weeks, you know, just a short stint and, um, you know, and break that up. So, you know, go away up north for a few weeks and then come back and for a few days to hang with Pete and then um, go to Budapest for the week. So it's not as... Um, daunting and lot can come with me to Budapest so yeah we thought oh well, this is actually quite a good dress rehearsal should I make the Olympics again next year we can try a few different things in training mm. uh, we can you know and you know that might not be exactly what we want to do for the Olympics because we'd like to do something bigger uh, but at least we can dip the toe in the water and just see what's possible um, yeah so fingers crossed it's not it's not 32. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed it's got a two in the run, not a three. Uh -huh. the, uh, Celsius. Um, yeah, and should be a really fun experience. It looks amazing. It looks really beautiful, the course. So, yeah, I'm really positive now. Um, took a bit of time to kind of decide whether to nominate or not. But, it, yeah, now that I'm in, um, I think we're looking forward to it and it's a good opportunity. Okay, we're going to wrap up with end of podcast, but – I'm gonna, I have to ask the most boring basic question first, and that is, what do you peak your mileage at for your marathon training? Yeah, so probably about 175, but in the lead up to Osaka, I ran about five weeks of over 200 kilometers. Okay. So sorry, I was talking kilometers there. I know. So I know. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, that the 200 kilometer weeks, I hadn't 
actually ran one before okay. uh, in any of my blocks. And so, yeah, that's sort of uh, through that nice break when I was prepping yeah. for Osaka, I was able to just, you know, get 200k weeks done quite simply. So, yeah, hopefully we can move towards that again in the future. 200k. What is that mileage? Do you know? Uh, yeah, so 160 is 100 miles. 160 is 100 miles? Oh, wow. 200K is 124. Okay, that's high. Yeah, it was a great time, really, that we worked out that I could handle it, you know, but I think that you can only handle it when you've got the extra recovery. Mm. So it's a bit hard to... With, because of the shoes... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think, and also I think before GPS watches, this is showing my age, but before Same. GPS yeah. watches, you know, we used to all just kind of average out our case, right? You just write down, okay, well, that's the same run and it's 45 minutes and I feel like I'm running about this pace. So people were just, so I wonder if, you know, you measured all those courses back in the day, how many kilometers were you really running? You know, because yeah. we used to estimate, we didn't have, unless you, you, you know, you're not going to take a wheel out and <laughs> wheel it all the way. For right. The next, yeah. Up the I creek. Know. So, yeah. so true. I know. I always say like I, my first marathon I ever ran, I ran way faster than I thought I could. And I think it's because I was guessing all my mileage and I, w I think I was overshooting everything because I was yeah. so nervous. I wasn't going to be doing enough. So yeah. on days where I was running 10 miles, I was probably always running 11. And yeah. if I wanted to run 20, I'd go run for three hours and I was probably running 22 miles. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. for sure. Um, well, this has been fun to get to know you more. What is one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I think that I would like to learn how to draw. So my Ooh. son's really good at art. And the things that he comes home with, he does an art class every week. And the things that he comes home with, I think, wow, that's amazing. You know, I didn't really focus on that when I was at school because, you know, I was um, academics and sport, really. So I think that would be really fun to do some uh, mum, son art classes. Oh, fun. Super therapeutic, too. <laughs> My boys do this, um, like, so since it's summer, I'm like, no technology when you get up in the morning. You have to, like, read or just, like, because for a period of time, they, they get up like zombies, like, ready to turn on a device. And I'm like, I cannot let my kids live like this. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, okay, you got to read for 10 minutes, do whatever. And then after they've been awake for like 30 minutes, my son's like, can I get on my computer and do like this drawing thing? And I'm like, if that's what you're using your computer for, fine. So there's this really cute YouTube channel. I forget what it's called, but the dad and the daughter draw oh, together. Yes. Do you know art which one I'm kids. talking about? Yeah. Is it Art, art for, for kids? kids? Okay. Yeah. That's and fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I mean, they write, they make the coolest stuff and I'm like, that's fine. Like that yeah. is fine. That is different than you staring at like someone else just doing something like you're doing it with them. I'm fine with that. Yeah. We love that. That got us through lockdown. Mm, yes. <laughs> I think that's we probably when we dad. discovered it too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the lockdown really served him well. He, I think that so. might've been where he, where he blew up. <laughs> um, I think I had three of my kids all sitting down in a row doing it. Of course they were fighting over who got what marker and whatnot. It wasn't perfect, but it was good. 
yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that, Lindsay, about our kids and, you know, <sighs> not wanting them to in the balance of, you know, technology is amazing and they have so much opportunity to learn so many things so quickly, not having to trek to the library to learn about the solar system or, you know, things <laughs> like that. But on the flip side, you know, it's it's a bit of a challenge as a parent trying to control it and, you know, giving them enough independence, but, you know, not too much that they're off in some other land somewhere that you don't know about. So it's a minefield, I think. Oh, for sure. And I have to be like, okay, Lindsay, you can't expect them to want to get up and read for 30 minutes because that's what you like to do. You are a 39-year-old woman. Like, yeah. you understand the power of, like, you know, having this like quiet, slow entry, you know, like that's not how they're wired, which is fine. But I also don't want them to wake up and be zombies and like just look for a device. That's right. That's right. Mm, it is a challenge. Um, sometimes all or nothing feels like the best answer because y yes. if it's not an option, then they're not begging you for it. It's just not that's an option. Right. I don't know if you've tried this, Lindsay, but I have at times hidden the iPad and oh, yeah. then forgotten where I've hidden it because I'm always oh, hiding yeah. in a different spot in the house and then I can't work out where I've put it. <laughs> 100%. I'm sure at times Pete thinks that I've, I'm lying, that I've just put it somewhere and I don't want to tell him, but then I have to say to Lachlan, oh my oh. gosh, where did I put that thing? You're going to have to work out. Help me I lose I it. it. <laughs> it's the um, it's the Xbox controllers for me. Uh, yes. I, I've hidden them all over the house because then they find the spot. So you hide them somewhere else. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Um, what what about reading? I don't see that you would have time to read. Do you have a best, most recent book you've read? No, I haven't been reading for ages. Um, I do have one on the go that I started actually in the uh, just waiting to go to, to to the start for Tokyo. I can't remember what it's called because it's in my room, but um I'll probably pick that up again when mm. I start doing the training up north um, and have a bit more time. But reading is, I love reading. Uh, I just have no time. Like I'm up straight away. Sometimes I'm running at six in the morning or at the moment I'm in our gym in the, with the heater on preparing for worlds and, you know, then mm. at school lunches and, you know, drop-offs and, um, you know, then we start our day, our work day and, all that happens until pick up a time again and then another training session. So, and somehow we jam some making dinner in there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not much time for reading. We're usually zombies and also doing the reading with Pete. So yeah, it's all about, yeah, yeah the, the pre nine eye time is all about doing his reading and yeah. Uh, but the good thing is we've got some amazing kids authors. Uh, mm -hmm. and so some of the books, you know, they're quite fun and, interesting you know for even us to read so I enjoy that moment I think it'll be gone in a flash um and so yeah making That's the most it. of that time really I know I'm trying to remind myself of that someone recently said something that resonated with me like when something about with the kids and like usually the answer is I have to just sacrifice a little bit of something that I wanted to do or whatever to like make this situation better with them. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot because you're right. It's like we're in a season where like some of my reading can't be all for me. Like it has, I'm sacrificing that and it's going to them. Uh, I think about that with my morning time. Like I love my morning time so much. I love reading with a blanket and I'm like, you need to lessen that time right now. And like, you can't always, you know, read for an hour in the morning. It's just not doable. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's tough though. Um, wanting to do, do it all well. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Okay, two more questions. If you could have coffee, tea, or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring, who would it be? I would love to bring my nan and pa back because Mm. they didn't get to see, well, my nan got to see me running, but not necessarily to the, you know, to this stage in my career. And, um, but my pa passed away when I was in my first year of um, high school and, uh, so he didn't get to see any of the achievements that, you know, my sister and I have made. And, you know, so I would love to be able to do that and show them everything that they sacrificed for us, mm. you know, what, what, you know, what it became and everything that they sacrificed, you know, made us what we are today. So that would be mine. <laughs> Does your sister run? No, she doesn't, but she coaches um, Australian women's football. Um, there's been a big switch which is absolutely fabulous to create more women's competitions and so she's just been doing some representative coaching for um some women's sides um here in victoria and yeah she's uh got such a a great coaching and leadership um temperament and you know so i'm really um excited for her that she's been able to uh, now sort of move into that because um yeah, she's going to be really good at it. And, you know, the girls will benefit from that. Uh, So yeah, really great and exciting for us here for women and women in sport, because yeah, everyone's getting behind that league. And um, so yeah, really good opportunity for her. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What's your last message to leave with the audience? Uh, I think the key is to give yourself a break. Uh, Take, Mm -hmm. take breaks, you know, sometimes it gets overwhelming. Everything does. Uh, so if you can just step back and go, right, I need to step back, have a think about things and really find that, you know, what's driving me in this particular area of my life and set a new plan um, that sometimes you don't just need to quit, you know, fully. You just need to take a break and step away from something and then you can come back a lot better and stronger from that. Um, that certainly helped me through my marathon career and probably my professional career as well. All right, friends, go have a think. I love that. Thanks, Lisa. Lovely to chat with you, Lindsay. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Lisa, for coming on the podcast. Best of luck in your training, world championships, training to make that fifth Olympic team. You all can find Lisa on Instagram. She is Lisa Waitman over there. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram. Uh, Don't forget to go check out Relay. Uh, You can find us on Instagram. We're Relay underscore site and our website is RelayPodcast.com. Learn more about everything we're doing here on this show and all the shows in the Sandy Boy Network at SandyBoyProductions.com. Links to all of the sponsor codes, discount codes will be in the show notes over there as well. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you next week on All Have Another.